What is up, Lit Lucid Podcast fans? We are happy to have you back for season seven of the show. This season is brought to you by Seed and Smith, an amazing cannabis company located right here in Denver, Colorado. Visit our website, litlucid.com, to learn more about our sponsors and to view our previous episodes. And if you're enjoying the show, be sure to share with a friend and give us a review on your favorite platform. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Lucy and Jared. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. We are here in season seven. So thank you all for joining us um, all the way up into now episode 71. We really appreciate all of our listeners and everybody who's joined us along this journey. Uh, Today we have Jackson Tilly. He is the VP of Strategic Partnership and Communications with Organa Brand. Organa Brands is one of the nation's leading cannabis uh, distributors. So we're going to learn a little bit more about Jackson's background and how he got started in the cannabis industry. And most recently, he just released his latest book. It's The Billion Dollar Dime Bag, a memoir um, chronicling his life work in the industry as a sober gay millennial. So we're going to learn a little bit more about your background and, you know, what that's led to in the industry, Uh, a little bit more about, you know, your ups and downs, especially as a millennial. We did, when we very first started uh, the podcast, we focused on millennials in the industry. So it'll be interesting to hear your journey as well. Yeah, great. I'm super excited. Well, cool. Let's just get started. Why don't you explain to us a little bit more how you got started with Organa Barons? I know you started as an intern there, and it's grown quite rapidly since then. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I got lucky. It was a good um, it was a good instance of right place, right time. Um, I had just graduated from college and wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Um, I was getting ready to go on a trip with a lot of my friends who had just graduated with me, as I think many people do when they first leave college, I guess go, quote unquote, find themselves in Europe, but I think mm, all absolutely. we found was really cheap red wine. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, and so I had a, I had like a friend of a friend who was working at OpenBate, which is what it was called at the time, and she said, we're hiring some marketing interns, um, you should maybe come in and uh, apply for it, and so I did a quick Skype interview view and and I'll you as an intern so yeah it, it worked out really quickly um and really well I thought I would probably just be doing it you know for a short term that maybe it would be a three-month thing six-month thing I just wanted to get my parents off my back a little bit I think <laughs> about finding a new job um and then after I started you know it 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 didn't really occur to me what I was getting into when I first like on day one, I think I had appreciated in college the easy access to cannabis that came along with living in Colorado and had never really given much thought to, you know, what actually goes into making this run. Like how, how do the plants get from a grow facility onto the shelf? That had never really crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I kind of talk about that I got like a second education working in the cannabis industry um, because it just taught me a whole new uh, sort of perspective and and just this look at this new industry um, and I was hooked right out right out of the gate so I was lucky to get in to the company when it was young and fairly small and have been able to grow alongside it um, yeah for the last five years 
That's pretty amazing. I don't think we've had too many guests really uh, discuss kind of the, the re-education required in the industry because it's totally different than what most people think. I think people think of cannabis and Oh, we got my the drug dealer down the street or the buddy you text and brings over cannabis and there's really no thought put into it. And even now, like you said, you know, cannabis is so easy to come by in Colorado. You can just drive to a dispensary, pick it up, and then you know, who cares? It's legal now. So I think it's pretty cool that you kind of talk about how uh, how it's like a whole new world you had to step into, I guess, where there's a lot going into it where, you know, the normal person, I guess, would probably not have any idea of what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, and I was certainly one of those people. And so I, I think it's important that, you know, the the larger population understands that. And I talk about this in the book as well, but that the cannabis business for all of its nuances and eccentricities is is really a, is a big business like anything else. Like it's it's people who come to work every day and their livelihoods depend on being successful in their jobs and, you know, turning the gears that make their employers successful as well. So I think when you can distill it down like that, it, it is easier for people to wrap their head around like, oh, this is why people are moving to Colorado to go open a grow or work in a dispensary or whatever it is. Like there's so many different, um, you know, verticals of the employment market, I guess, that are touched by cannabis. Like that's why you see so many people jumping over because you have finance, legal, marketing, communications, like you have everything that you would see in a blue chip business is the same in cannabis. So it's it's been really great to watch it you know, mature into, into what we're seeing now, I think. And what was it like to see open vape turn into Organa brands? And I know you've acquired a bunch of other companies as well under your brand. So what has that growth been like? It's been crazy. It, it's been really, really good. Um, yeah, we obviously, <clears throat> when I first started, when I first took over doing communications for the company, we, had just decided to adopt this house of brands model where we were um, buying different brands, buying, buying, acquiring, or building our own brands and putting them under this one umbrella called Organa Brands. So <clears throat> I'd been at the company for about two years at that point. Um, you know, we grew that portfolio and then through um, February of this year, then we were subsequently acquired, merged um, with our parent company, Slang Worldwide, and subsequently listed, uh, we went public in Canada. So it's been it's been great to see, um, you know, at its core, they were really visionaries at the time, the guys who founded OpenVape, um, because they just saw a really interesting hole in the market and came up with a really clever product to, to fill it, and that's just like ingenuity at its finest, that you know, if you have a great product that's well well marketed, you can do great things with it. And this IPO at the beginning of the year is all evidence of that. No, absolutely. Um, I'm familiar with Organa Brands here in Denver and met with quite a bit of them and used to work with them on some other stuff. And I was really impressed by your guys' growth strategy. I met with them two years ago, I guess, in 2017 and, and sat down with a then uh, international sales guy. and. He was talking about how you guys were expanding into international markets, and I thought it was brilliant, really, how you guys positioned yourself with uh, with CBD and basically use CBD to penetrate the markets and get brand exposure, and then you guys would follow up with uh, either medical marijuana or, or adult use. And um, when I first kind of, I mean, that was when I first got in the industry, and I was probably kind of like you, kind of starry-eyed and like, oh my gosh, there's so much to learn. You know, what's all going on here? And it really kind of uh, 
it compelled me quite a bit really when I first met with Organa Brands that hey this is like a, this is an enterprise and these people are like really going for it and this is going to be something that's going to be worldwide and um, Organa Brands has done exactly what they said they were going to do from the start was be a worldwide brand and, and bring you know cannabis products to the masses and uh, it's been incredible to watch from my end so I can only imagine your side of like the inside workings and seeing it all kind of come together and oh my goodness so you've been you you got a really fun gig there where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. I got really lucky. I mean, for sure. It, it's been a lot of hard work for sure, but I think some of it is just good luck too. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It, it's grown exponentially. And a lot of it, I think just comes from, you know, we're, we're, we were one of the first MSOs. Um, and so being able to build brands that people trust and are consistent from state to state, despite federal legalization, not allowing us to have um, you know, centralized distribution, we're as close as you can get. Yeah, absolutely. So how does it work from a communication standpoint? Do you guys still see a lot of resistance when you guys try to expand into new markets or are you guys pretty much, is everybody pretty much familiar with Organa brands and you guys' strategies at this point and, uh, makes your job a little bit easier? Or? I think we have, um, uh, we have like some pretty tried and true, um, processes in place at this point for entering new markets but I think it a lot of it boils down to just having good partners um, and we've been really lucky to have great partners all along the way whether it's <clears throat> excuse me whether it's states that we um, you know have wholly owned operations in or ones where we license our operations out um, you know we we've, we've done well to be really um, mindful of the partners that we have and I think that's you know we, I think they attribute a lot of our success to that how many states are you guys in now? Uh, 12. And we have products on 2,600 stores and wow. like ancillary products on five continents. Wow. That's incredible. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been crazy. And I think the last check is, I think we sell one of our products every four seconds around the world. <laughs> so it's, it's, um, we, there's a, there's a lot of products going out the door. That is amazing. That is very cool. That is amazing. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your memoir. What motivated you to write this book? So it's funny. I, I had always sort of had an idea in the back of my head that maybe I wanted to, to do a piece of writing at this scale, and I was not ever sh sure what. I've always liked writing. I, I fancy myself to be like fairly decent at it, but we'll let the reviewers on Amazon decide. <laughs> um, but basically, like when I was first getting into the cannabis industry, I had done what I did before I approached a lot of new ventures, which was try to read as much about it as I possibly could. And I found that in reading a lot of what's considered, you know, you just your like stock books about the cannabis industry, like here's your like one week education. Like if you read these five books, you're going to be good. And as far as like actual useful content, 10 out of 10, you know, really practical, applicable information that are the things that you need to know. But I felt like there wasn't a book that spoke to me as, you know, a young person, as a gay person, and I, I wasn't sober at the time when I first started, but um, I, I just didn't feel like there was something that had been written for me. And so in the back of my head, I always thought, <clears throat> okay, I think, if I, do, I think if I do a book, it's probably going to be about this. And then when I ended up getting sober along the way, um, it was the same kind of thing. I think a lot of people thought that I would leave my job or that I would leave the industry um, just because I don't consume the products. And in fact, it's made me like a more ardent supporter of regulations and legalization. Um, and I think 
you know, that's that was really the driver for wanting to do the book is sort of paint this picture for people who don't have cannabis as a part of their daily life. Like maybe they don't consume it. Maybe it's completely not on their radar. Maybe they don't even know somebody who, <clears throat> who uses it, but that people can get behind this idea of, of personal liberties that if it's not harming somebody else and if it prevents people from sitting in prison for nonviolent offenses, and that they think that there's like a better use of, of tax dollars than policing a plant that's been around long before us. Like if you, it, you don't have to use it to support those ideas. And so I, I thought I, I was a good example of that being the case and felt like it was an interesting point of view to frame a, a book from. No, absolutely. I think, I mean, just from what you said, I could probably agree that there's probably not a lot out there on that. And, um, and like the back end of, of kind of what we're dealing with now is totally different than I think when we were first coming into the industry with cannabis, people were talking about, oh, the children and what if they get access and cannabis is a bad drug and it's the devil's lettuce and all this stuff. And so we were still fighting, you know, the stigma and we weren't even getting down to like the nuts and bolts of, you know, about, a, you know, the war on drugs and, and the harm that's done to a lot of the communities. And, and like you said, you know, how do I pr approach this from a medicinal standpoint? How do I incorporate this in my life? There's really, like you said, I don't think that that conversation had ever come up because everybody's been fighting, you know, legalization this right. whole time and just trying to get out the hey, cannabis is a medicine and hasn't killed anybody. Let's try to, you know, play with this stuff. So, uh, I mean, that's like a great angle to take and I definitely think it's necessary. So kudos to you for finding that gap. Well, and I don't Thank think you. there's any millennials who are writing books either. I yeah, mean, true. I can think of Steve D'Angelo's books and maybe a couple yeah. of others, but those are people who've right. been in the industry for many years. So a nice, fresh perspective is Yeah, because I guess you're right. Like our perspectives is like 60s and 70s yeah. and 80s and drug war policy and these people like behind the scenes and black market growers and high times and yeah. all that. You're right. That's been like how we've all been shaped. Right. And I think, you know, it's a different, um, you know, for me, I didn't grow up in the counterculture movement that's yeah. so tied to what cannabis looks like today in a lot of forms. Um, or like what cannabis culture looks like in a lot of forms. But um, I think millennials or Gen Z, Gen X, anybody in that group, um, I, I think have grown up with a different understanding of what of what cannabis means. And I was on the very, like I, in terms of timeline, I was on the very edge of like not, not being super supportive of the idea when I was young because I just wasn't exposed to it on anything except like maybe like South Park or something. Yeah. Uh, and so I think now there's this new generation of people who are just like, I think the only way I could think to describe it is like blase. <laughs> it's just so ingrained in, mm -hmm. in culture right now. And I think in perpetuity that, um, you know, it's just less of a topic of discussion. So having information about the industry that's easily accessible to a, a generation of people who are going to be making the, like, whether it's purchasing decisions or, social decisions, whatever it is, like I think having a resource like that is important. Um, and the same thing, just having more diverse voices, I think, especially in this industry is, is really important as we try to figure out, you know, what the, <clears throat> what the grown up version is going to look like, right? Like we're still very new. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Well, speaking of diversity, um, I know you did, you know, put a little bit of emphasis on the fact that you are a gay male in the industry. Did you ever experience any discrimination on the job or anything like that? I didn't, you know, and I, I'm super lucky 
to work for the company that I work for. We've been marching in pride parades for longer than I worked there and since the company had first been founded. So uh, we're definitely progressive and have uh, have held that to be true. And, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't know that there's like necessarily any sort of institutional discrimination problems in the cannabis industry. I just think that at the core of the legalization of cannabis, it, the reason that we have it in the form that it's in today is because of this activist Dennis Perron in San Francisco who fought to have uh, access to cannabis for his partner who was dying mm-hmm. of AIDS during the yeah. HIV AIDS crisis. And so the cannabis movement and the LGBT movement are like inextricably linked as a result and have also gained momentum and acceptance in the same timeline. And I don't think that that's by accident. Um, so I just thought, you know, it, I mean, I've been out since I was like 16 years old, so it's not like a, you know, it's not like a coming out book for me, but I think it's important to have um, visibility in the industry that like, you know, we're, we're true to our roots in more ways than one. That was a good point to make. We learned all about that at the uh, the Weed Museum, the National Weed Museum. They put a lot of emphasis on, uh, what was his name? Dennis Perron. Right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, I, I know that's important. And I think it's those conversations that, that I just don't think are out in the airwaves right now. And it's going to be folks like yourself that has to bring those things to light. And I mean, there's so much new things coming on the market and people are being distracted by everything. It's like, how can you really like dig back through it and pay attention to those stories? So it's going to be folks like yourself who have to constantly kind of bring it in a new form or new media to people and constantly remind them of, hey, this is our past and this is where we need to go. And this is how you get there. Because I still think society is itself, like you said earlier, we don't really know how to act anymore. And I remember back when we had uh, we had Ricardo Baca on in like episode 20 or something. And we were asking Ricardo about the stages of legalization and, and where we're at now. And a lot of that is that, you know, we've legalized and now we're working on commercialized. And, you know, n- the next is we need to normalize. And I think that's truly where we're at right now. We have to normalize it. And I don't think normalization is just posting up on a street corner, smoking a joint and waving at everybody. It's having those conversations of this is who I am. This is what I represent. And yes, either I do use cannabis or I work in the industry and I support, you know, the advocacy behind it. And I think people have to start putting a face to a name and standing out there and standing up for it. Because like we discussed earlier, I think there is a a counterculture movement that everybody associates with cannabis. and, And that's not cannabis in 2019. That's cannabis in 1983. And cannabis in 2019 or coming up 2020 is a hell of a lot different than what I think the media portrays and also what a lot of us have just picked up over the years. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really incredible what you've done. And I, I totally agree with, you know, that angle needs to be talked about. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's interesting um, just to think about it. You, you made a really good point about that the cannabis culture of 2019 doesn't look anything like it did in the past and I think um you know I, I I lived in Colorado for a long time in LA before that and then Colorado for college so I've been back and forth in two places that you know yeah. you could get weed on any corner anytime for like pretty much my entire adult life um and so it's easy to lose sight of that that's just not the reality in huge swaths of the country um and so I try to keep some of that stuff in mind as we, as I have these conversations, like that some people just have not had the like physical exposure, like that there's something in front of them that they can see or they can touch or they can smell, um, to like remove that initial piece of discomfort around it. And I think just generally 
generally as human beings, we fear the things that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very tough to explain to somebody how, you know, what all of this is, if you don't have it in front of you, like, and whether you consume it or not, it doesn't really matter. But like, it's like trying to teach a goldfish how to do math. Like, it's just really difficult to explain something when you're given this, I guess, like, you know, bite-sized notion of what a regulated market looks like from what you see on the news or what you read online. Yeah. And until you come to Colorado and see, like, okay, the, the sky hasn't fallen, like, <laughs> everything is going, like, pretty much better than it ever has, I think, in Colorado, just in terms of population growth and tax revenue and teen use like all of the metrics that we use to calculate whether or not this is a success like it has been a success by and large in Colorado so mm -hmm. I think until more people um, you know get to see that stuff firsthand that then that's when you really start to gain this momentum of okay like now it's normalized and um, you know my friend Tracy did an interview in the book and she she was formerly at Vice Media so it's just super familiar with the media landscape talking about cannabis and she did this she said this great this great quote that i have not forgotten that um you know you can be a loving doting mother and like always put your kids first and be like your textbook definition of like a plus mom and also use cannabis and that those those two things aren't mutually exclusive and i thought that's such a succinct way to kind of denote um you know, the changes that it's just a part of people's lives the same way that having a glass of wine when they come home at night is it's like, right. it's, it's just not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we still deal with that. I mean, my parents are still really against it and I haven't worked at, you know, a cultivation. I brought them to the cultivation to physically show them the work and the labor and like the compliance and the regulation that goes into just getting a plant out the door. It's not like some backyard grower just growing it in his basement and shooting it out and selling it to his homies. It's, every single plant had a tracking tag and it was like arduous labor to try to keep track of those plant tags and track every single gram that came off that plant and it's a lot of work and it's not like you said it's not just your normal cannabis and even now i mean that's still then if we want to enjoy it like you said there's still a lot of stigma attached to it and it's just going to be people putting their stories out there to show just like that yeah you can be a great mom and nobody even knows and you can still use cannabis right. on the side or you can smoke, you know, a joint or something on the weekend or take an edible at night to help you sleep or, you know, rub a, a pain salve on or something to your hands because you have arthritis or something. I mean, these are the things that totally need to change in 2020 of normalizing, a.k.a. stoners, I guess, and, and cannabis. Yeah, it's so funny. I think there's a perception that like people, you know, that if you're a parent who smokes weed, that then you're like sitting at your kid's soccer practice like high on edibles or something yeah. <clears throat> and it's it's just absurd because it's you know it's the equivalent of taking like a vodka soda to your kid's soccer right. practice you like neither of those things happen <laughs> because people are responsible adults responsible and know adults. when is an appropriate time and when is it not <laughs> but i mean even at that i mean drinking bottles of wine after work is perfectly fine and appropriate and nobody <laughs> even blinks at that and then if somebody right. brings one tiny joint and takes like two puffs and it's still the end of the world. I know. It's crazy. Yeah, there's still a lot of work to do, I guess. <laughs> we were talking, um, so there's this new social consumption um, like venue, I guess you'd call it, in Denver that they just created. And it's called the Hot Box. And it's literally a storage shipping container. And you go into <laughs> it and you smoke in this box. 
And we, Jared and I were talking, we're like, this is like so degrading still. Yeah. Like somebody could stand outside and smoke a cigarette like after they just got drunk at the bar and we're standing inside this shipping container like huddled <laughs> together know. smoking a joint. I, like it. I appreciate it because they did like Go fill, through a, some fill a need and like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the city's fault for being so anti-social consumption. So somebody had to do something to fix it, but I can tell you it's not the solution and that's just where we're at. Like that's the solution in 2019 hey, 2020 is coming around, let's make a better solution in 2020 because that's not the solution. I mean, we were like under cameras and surveillance and had to give our IDs. And I'm like, well, yeah, now the city of Denver knows I smoke weed because I showed up at this hot box. And I mean, it was just like, come on, guys. Like, and, then we, and then we walk out and there's just people like, we literally walk around the corner. There's a bar and there's people all over the place drinking alcohol outside and like in plain yeah. sight from the road and kids can walk by and stare at them and there's a guy we passed smoking a cigarette and somebody across the street vaping and probably somebody over in the alley doing heroin or something. And I'm like, here we are smoking <laughs> cannabis and like, we're not doing anything like destructive to anybody, but they're going to put us in a box under surveillance and watch us smoke our joint. <laughs> like, so we have funny. a ways to yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. It was a trip. And it's funny that those are the alternatives that like, that that's where we've landed on, on the most appropriate way to... Yeah allow people to consume and like adjacent to public not even in public yeah. we did a 420 party like maybe three years ago i think and it was at um i think the refinery in denver yeah. I think we, and yeah, so we there. like rented out the space for this like art of 420 party and then the same thing they have a liquor license so you can't consume inside even though it's private property so we had to rent like tour buses that were parked outside we had to get par permits for the buses to be parked outside and then people could just walk the three feet from the front door into the bus and go sit down and like vape or smoke or dab or do whatever but it's just crazy like yeah. is that benefiting that i have to make a three-foot walk to go inside <laughs> to do it like it's crazy it is crazy yeah and then <laughs> i was i was there at that party and like we were there handing out joints from our farm and it was like a lot of issues with the joints i can tell you that because we had to sit oh, yeah. there and like id people and hand them one joint and not let them leave and it was like my goodness you know somebody can set up at a brewery and hand out free alcohol all day and nobody's on their case but it was like a struggle just to hand out pass out some free joints on 420 to people and responsible adults who had already been id'd and like my goodness it's been a struggle it's crazy. Yeah, I'm sure the Los Sueños joints were very popular. I have a picture of me somewhere standing with like, we used to have all of those huge barrels of, yeah. uh, from Los Sueños, and I have a picture somewhere in front of like, it's like five times as tall as me. It's amazing. Oh my goodness. No, it, it was a struggle back then, but it's still somewhat of a struggle now. And hopefully, I think, I think that's kind of what the conversation of the future is now is social consumption. What does it look like? I know here in Colorado, I'm pretty sure I've seen something roll out. I don't think it's law yet, but I think it's proposed where they're uh, they're making some adoptions to the Clean Air Act yeah, um, they are. and to pave some way for social consumption. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, that's that's great news because you know people are going to smoke cannabis and people just want a safe place to use it and not feel like a criminal still and not feel like they're you know harming society or harming anybody else because most of them don't want that. Most of them aren't going to do that. Most of them, what they're going to end up doing is staying home and smoking at home. Yeah. And being kind of kept out of social situations so uh, i think we can all do better there yeah but totally. enough of the soapbox <laughs> oh i was just gonna say it's funny i think the people who complain or like you know the people who advocate against social consumption are probably the same people who will file a complaint with your landlord that the hallways smell like weed right so, like, there's, 
there's not True. a good alternative right now for people who uh you know just want to enjoy it like anybody else yeah, yeah. absolutely well that's what we hope that your memoir changes that's what we're hoping for yeah, Jackson. fingers, <laughs> fingers crossed <laughs> uh, well where can people find your book um so the book you can buy anywhere books are sold or um www.billiondollardimebag.com has the links for Amazon, Barnes & Noble, whatever you choose. Cool. Nice. Cool. Well, we always end the, uh, the show with advice for either entrepreneurs or those kind of uh, getting into the industry. And I think you'd be a great candidate to offer some advice to some young millennials entering the industry and maybe even some folks who maybe aren't familiar with cannabis, but maybe they want to test out the new waters and get into finance or marketing gig or something. So the best advice that I can give is maybe not specific to the cannabis industry, but the, the one like guiding mantra for my whole life has always been ask for everything because most people are too afraid to bring up the questions. People are too afraid to ask for what they really want, ask for what they really need. And so the answer is always no. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. Um, and from getting this book published, I had no business getting an agent. I had no business selling a book and I asked and it, it became reality. <laughs> it's the same thing with working in this company. I had no business getting a job at a big cannabis company three days after graduating college, but I asked and it became reality. So I think there's something to be said for just putting yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the worst thing that somebody can say to you is no, you're doing really well. So yeah. that's, uh, that's like my little bit of life advice. That's great advice. That's pretty solid advice. Yep. I, like I think I was even telling Jared that this morning. I'm like, let's just ask. The most they're going to tell us yeah, is no. Who cares? No, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty it's cool. A, it's empowering, too. You know, once you can accept that kind of stuff, I think everyone is so hardwired to be afraid of rejection that once you just accept that you can be empowered by that, then, you know, the world is your oyster, as they say. That's awesome. That's so true. I think that's great advice, folks. And definitely take that one and write it on your calendars and your notes and your notebooks and write yeah. it all over. I'm going to. <laughs> Cool. All right, Jackson. Well, thank you so much for sharing about yourself and your memoir. I would love to read it. So we'll have to get our hands on one of those copies. Um, And everybody check out Jackson. He's online. I even think you have your own website. It's jacksontilleryisn'tit.com. Yeah, jdtilley.com. Cool. Yeah. So check him out. You can find him on Instagram as well. Um, Yeah. And check out his book. Let us know what you think of it. Cool. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us. All right, with that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. Introducing the dart from Seed and Smith. No cutting agents, no artificial terpenes, no residual solvents. Only clean, pure cannabis from a company you can trust. Don't miss your chance to pick up a dart by taking part in Dart Days every Friday during the month of November. With the purchase of a $15 pod, you will receive the dart battery absolutely free. Follow Seedon Smith on Instagram and Facebook for new Dart Day locations every Friday with a special doorbuster on Green Friday, November 29th. Don't delay. Get the Dart today. Hey.